That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right. Welcome back to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. Kara. And I'm Dr. Dave. All right. Today we are joined... Um, all the way from Alaska uh, with Dr. Casey Holland. And uh, Dr. Casey, um, I'm super excited to learn about something that I think even within naturopathic medicine circles, um, we are maybe less uh, informed about. So I'm really looking to learn from Dr. Casey about chronic infections today. Uh, Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Kara. Thank you for having me, both you, Dr. Kara, and Dr. Dave. I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. Well, we were just talking, uh, like, and saying, uh, basically, honestly, we don't know as much as uh, Dr. Casey knows about Epstein-Barr virus or EBV and chronic infections. So, maybe for for me and Kara and for the listeners, maybe you could tell us um, a little bit of about uh, EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, and maybe how you got into chronic infections and, and things like that so that people can have an understanding of, of sort of what we're talking about from the get-go. Definitely. So more commonly, Epstein-Barr virus is referred to as mono. So that's kind of the what most people have heard of or think of. And Epstein-Barr virus is the virus that causes that or known as the kissing disease. And usually we see, a lot of times people will get it when they're middle school age or even younger. Some it's more likely in high school or college. And it's thought to be just this self-limiting presentation where you're tired, you might feel kind of flu-like, you could have a sore throat, low-grade fever, headache, fatigue is the biggest symptom. And then you're supposed to have that for a couple weeks and then have it go away and feel better. And a lot of times it's, it's really thought to just go away. But in my world, I see it come back or reactivate, which is something that's supposed to be unlikely to happen. And sometimes people don't even know that they had it the first time when it's called mono. And that's because the symptoms are so nonspecific that you might have not really had many symptoms. You might have just thought you had a slight cold or flu and and kept going and never been tested. Um, So this virus, Epstein-Barr virus, actually affects over 90% of the population. So it's one of those viruses from the Mm -hmm. herpes family that is supposed to just go into a latent phase and we're not supposed to have any problems with it. But what I see is people do have problems with it. And a lot of times we see that presenting with really chronic fatigue. Um, So then that's when you know, we go and we test for a 
broader spectrum of the virus and see what's going on um, and can be a little bit more difficult to understand than that first presentation known as mono that's tested with a mono spot. I think when I learned about it, I didn't really, it was a while ago now, we're dating ourselves, but um, it, it seems like we learn about it like you have mono, it's like a short-term thing, and then when you're over it, you're over it, and we didn't really, I don't think we talked much in our school about like, you can get relapsed or reactivation of this virus. Not that I remember, and I, I think that's probably not altogether different from a lot of diseases, right? Like we look in studies at the acute phase of a disease, and then we don't necessarily understand the longer term consequences of how that might change your health. So, um, but this is a pretty obvious place. Is, is there any reason why you think we haven't really acknowledged that there's a huge, I don't know what the percentage of people is, but um, is research lagging on on looking at how this possibly can kind of you know, we host this virus and then it, it, it can come and rear its head uh, frequently or not frequently? So I first started diving into this for myself because I had a really severe case of mono as a child and I was out of school for about three months. And okay. when I was actually in uh, naturopathic medical school, I said, I think I have mono again. And they ran a mono spot on me. And I was like, no, that's not going to show positive because I'm no. at it. And I was like, yeah. I really think, I really think that this is causing me to not feel well. I was struggling to focus and it was kind of just like dismissed. Um, and then I started having patients in our student clinic and one of the patients had done a full EBV panel. And that's when I was like, I have the same symptoms as you. And I have all these other people that I'm seeing this and this is positive. And it's confusing because in the immunological world, well, yes, it's going to show that that was positive and you might still have titers because your body has seen it before. But when I dove into the research, I did start to see a lot of research on Epstein bar virus and chronic active Epstein bar virus. Um, and then around that time was when um, medical medium became very popular and was talking more about it. So then I dove into the research and, and I thought, well, we do have this. Um, the World Health Organization put out an article about it and standard of care for how to um, check that out. But in our curriculum across the board for healthcare providers, we don't, I don't think it's been updated to where that's something that is automatically something that we're testing for or considering. Right. So, so there is a, a lag in, in our medical world, which they're commonly, they're commonly is, that's very common. So, yeah. Yeah, you've I, talked about that before. I, yeah, I think it's like a, there's a 17-year lag between research and clinical practice. And I feel like naturopaths are always ahead of that. They are. It's a yeah. little less. Yeah. You get made yeah. fun of it first and then... And then it's like, oh, they weren't so crazy. <laughs> they might be onto something here. Yeah. <laughs> so, Casey, can you put us in your shoes in naturopathic college or your patient's shoes that you're seeing right now? How are they feeling? Like, what does that look like when, um, when they're experiencing these infections or a relapse or... 
And then, and then I want to add to that. That was yeah. that's what my question was too. But then I want you to, uh, if you can, contrast that with your initial infection that you had that three month uh, when you're out of school, because that was your, this. This is the, your second. That's the second uh, sort of infection you were having, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Okay. Correct. So yeah. So like Kara said, do can you can you tell us how someone might feel and then compare it to how your first infection was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I'll describe a typical first infection because I don't think that mine was typical, Um, but typically you're going to feel like you have the cold or flu, but more um, headache, sore throat, and fatigue that are kind of just there lingering mild. For some people, the fatigue might be a lot more extreme. Usually it's a lower grade Mm -hmm. fever, so usually it's not as high as what we see in, in the flu or things like that. And usually it's going to last a little bit longer and just kind of linger. Um, And sometimes there may be, um, if you go to your doctor and have them check your spleen, you might have an enlarged spleen. Things like that are really characteristic of the first time that you have it. When it reactivates, um, I always ask people, what were you doing before you felt this way? And a lot of times there's a stressful event that's a trigger. In majority of people that I talk to, it's there. There was a stressor. Not all the time. There, there are other things also that that can lead to a reactivation. But an emotional, mental, physical stressful event like a car accident is a lot of times involved, and people feel exhausted. Um, The fatigue is a lot more debilitating, I would say, and we see a lot of cognitive dysfunction and brain fog where. You know, people also a lot of times will have gotten used to saying, I don't feel, I just am not motivated. I just don't feel good. Um, mm. And I I know for myself that I found myself doing that, like, yeah, I'm just not motivated. Um, but if you think back to like times when you were, how you felt differently, you know, you can easily get used to feeling suboptimal. So for some, it's just suboptimal, mm-hmm. exhausted, um, brain fog. For others, if it's a, a more aggressive state, we can see anxiety. Also from the cytokine production that happens in the immune response, um, we might see insomnia. And then some people, and I see this happen with women a lot, when their hormones are changing throughout their cycle, they'll, they'll have times where there's higher stress or whatnot, and they're also getting a sore throat and lymph nodes again. So it's this whole cascade. And a lot of times, if this is something that's been happening chronically, we'll see it kind of start to come in flare-ups where they, they don't feel good, they're tired, and they have brain fog. But then it will also get worse where they're having sore throat, headache, swollen lymph nodes, and they'll kind of cycle out of that back into the fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we can also see symptoms of like joint pain. Um, Epstein-Barr virus is also associated with irritable bowel. So there can be digestive symptoms and um, musculoskeletal symptoms involved as well. That's, that seems like that would be like that is such a diagnostic conundrum, right? Because those patients mm-hmm. come, and as you said, in a lot of cases, they have been through a car accident or a divorce or whatever a, a stressful trigger um, 
maybe might more typically be. And it would be so easy to say, well, it's the stress. Um, and actually, our, our next episode coming out is called It's Just Stressed. But um, those patients might say, oh, it's because I've been through a stressful event. Oh, it's, you know, adrenals or HPA axis dysfunction or hormones or my gut problems or it's a mental health issue. Um, and those are all red herrings or perhaps part of the picture, but my guess is this is not investigated very often. I think it's getting a lot better and that people have had really great advocacy for their health. Um, but I definitely don't think that it is, shall we say, standard to consider sure. it. Yeah, I would, I would think if I, <clears throat> if I saw someone who, like, let me, let me uh, assume that some of the main reasons that people come in, like there's usually some people can take some symptoms and they're like, yeah, yeah, well, it's okay. I have this symptom, but whatever. I mean, I would imagine that fatigue, like crazy unrelenting fatigue would be one of the major drivers for people to, to seek out help. Uh, is that true? Like, would that be one of the most common like fatigue or anxiety? Like what, what would be the number one for you? that you see most frequently, this is the thing that brought the person in. Yeah, definitely the fatigue and brain fog. It's at the level where some people are asking for medical leave from work because they can't, mm -hmm. they can't function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I, if I saw someone with like crazy fatigue, brain fog, like you said, it's, it's a diagnostic, uh, it's, it's difficult because that, that is common in so many so many uh, issues. So the first thing I, I wouldn't think of EBV right away. I'm just um, the first thing I'd look at is like an iron panel and then look at some, some things like that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I just think this, this is, um, this is one of those cases where it's probably the case, the patient is, is it's not moving in the direction that we want it to right away, yes. even though we've done the iron panel, we've like checked sleep and all that. And still something's Something's missing. missing. That feeling that something is missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So where do we go from here, Dr. Casey? So you have these patients sitting in front of you or perhaps right now virtually on your computer screen. Um, what's your first step with them? What, what, what do you look into and how does that assessment happen? Yeah, so I think it's important to, like Dr. Dave is saying, there's other things that could be contributing to brain fog and to fatigue. So usually by the time people have found me, they've already had a workup of all the common things. But if we're at that point where, where we're not seeing anything show up that could be causing those symptoms, then I will suggest running an Epstein-Barr virus complete panel. Um, and that, uh, that, consists of several labs. It's not just the monospot, which is your IgM. So mm -hmm. our immune system kind of has different ways that it responds. And IgM is our body's first response to an infection. So if, if that's present, then we, it's a sign that it's the first time that your body has seen that infection. So we still, we still check that. Um, Epstein-Barr virus gets really complicated because when I first started working on it, I was like, well, if it's a reactivation, your IgM will be negative. But then I had people send me their results and go, hey, look, I've had this before. And now I'm reactivated and my IgM is positive again. 
Um, so that goes to show, you know, how complex our immune system is. And, you know, some cases might have other things going on. I can't say exactly why some people were seeing that IgM activate again, except um, possibly because of mold, which is a whole other, whole other topic. Um, but we do check the IgM. Then we check your IgGs. So IgGs are kind of the next set of soldiers that come in to fight with our immune system. And there's different ones with Epstein-Barr virus. There's our early antigen IgG, which when that one is positive, it's very, very aligned with there being a reactivation. So if we see that positive, then it's like, okay, there's most likely a reactivation. We have kind of a clear answer here. But sometimes what we see is that one won't, that, that one might not be positive. It only stays positive for about three to six months, again, normally, but everybody's immune system can be different. Um, and then we have the viral capsid antigen IgG. So these are soldiers that are actually going against the outer capsule around the virus. And then we have the nuclear antibody IgG, which is the virus inside that's actual material there. And these are thought to be, well, they might be a little bit elevated because your body has seen that before and the virus stays in the body. So you're always kind of going to have that. But with chronic Epstein-Barr virus, we will see that be up at like 600 or off the charts for both of those. And when you have that and you have somebody that has such symptoms that are so significant, that's when we start to say, okay, this might be a chronic reactivated state. Um, there are guidelines for what constitutes like chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic reactivated Epstein-Barr virus. At one point, it was six months now. I think it's down at three months. It could have changed since I last checked. But and that's where it gets complicated because it really turns into not just what's showing up on the labs, but what your patient is experiencing and what their history looks like and, and what their symptoms look like. Um, and, and looking at what their white blood cells are doing too, you know, is there signs of a chronic viral infection through that? Uh, so when you try and just follow it with standard of care and, and what we think about happens immunologically, sometimes it doesn't quite add up to that. So that's kind of the process yeah. that we take. And that's the full panel that needs to be run to really understand that. And just to clarify, are those labs, you know, for patients listening who are like, I really need to see if this is happening and maybe can't see you. Um, are these thing, are these labs that just uh, like their medical doctor could do or are these like specialized panels? Yeah, so this is a simple blood draw that your doctor can order. Um, you might have to make sure that you request the full panel because sometimes mm -hmm. they will just order the IgM. But this is a standard blood draw that can that can be done, and it's not a functional or specialized lab. Awesome. Okay, so you see the patient; they're feeling like shit. <laughs> you get the positive results. What's the next step? Like, how do you, and I mean, we know this is the caveats always individualized. Every case is different. Yeah. Um, but what are some of those big hitters in your toolbox of either systems you're hitting or first steps you're taking and then specific therapies you're using? Um, 
that was a really loaded question. It was. <laughs> Give us all the nectar of your years of experience. Yeah. Give it all. <laughs> what would be some first steps? How about we always talk about foundations on, on our podcast, and that always yeah. comes up no matter what naturopath we're talking to. Yeah, like some non-negotiable basics that you would yeah. start with. What would those be for, for this in particular? Yeah, so I always ask myself like with each patient in my head I'm like okay why is there Epstein-Barr virus reactivating because Epstein-Barr virus our body is made to handle it and keep it in a latent state um, mm-hmm. so so what is it that is causing their body to not be able to keep that in a latent state and the big systems that I see are gastrointestinal health so if we have um dysbiotic bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract or we have candida there there's actually studies that show that candida biofilms have been able to house herpes family viruses and that the antivirals uh, like pharmaceuticals like acyclovir were less effective so if you have um, intestinal permeability inflammation your gastrointestinal tract all of that happening then then this could be you know why your body is isn't able to to put this back. Um, stress, that's a number one thing of, you know, are you always in a fight or flight stress mode? Is, is your job really stressful? Did you just go through something really difficult? Um, environmental exposures are also something that we have to ask about. If somebody has had a root canal or mercury fillings that haven't been removed or have recently been removed, or if they have mold exposure, mold, it causes your immune system to actually forget that you've seen the Epstein-Barr virus. So if you are living in a moldy home, that virus is just going to keep running around doing its thing. Um, and, you know, those are kind of some of the core things that I would say adrenal and thyroid also play into that. Um, but those are kind of the core systems that I'm looking at. And then when we look at tools to help move forward, yes, we want to use, you know, natural antivirals or pharmaceutical antivirals, depending on, on what is relevant. But the other thing that we have to kind of consider is the person's overall toxic load and how much oxidative stress is present. So oxidative stress happens from it can happen from anything. It can happen from emotional stress. It can happen from toxins. It's your body is trying to clear out reactivated oxygen species from your body. And the virus actually causes that. And we see research coming out of saying, hey, maybe it's this that causes Epstein-Barr virus to react. Maybe it's this. And when you look at all the things that they're testing, they all have something in common. They all can cause oxidative stress. So that your body being able to to utilize its means for minimizing that is really important also. So having a, a food intake that's really high of antioxidants, um, a lot of times I look at things like Dr. Terry Wall's protocol with MS and that level of vegetable consumption and colors of the rainbow to get those antioxidants in. So we have kind of our, our basics there and our, our basics um, – with vitamin D and vitamin C, which are things that we have to have on board for our immune system to be operating properly. Those are kind of our foundations. From there, there's other things that, that are more targeted 
support virus like andrographis, astragalus to boost our natural killer cells, things like that. And then we also need to be combating inflammation, right? So if somebody is having insomnia, if somebody is having anxiety, we can't just give them lavender and say, okay, go to sleep now. Their, their immune system is really, really ramped up. They have cytokines going on. Um, so using things to, to d- decrease that inflammation. And obviously the root of that is going to be healing your gastrointestinal tract, getting that down, doing other things, non-toxic living, decreasing toxin exposure as much as possible. Um, but also things like curcumin and resveratrol, which we don't really think about being antiviral, but we have to think about what this virus is doing and it turns on pathways that cause inflammation. So using tools like that that help decrease that inflammation and combat that are going to help people feel better, um, are going to help them think more clearly, but are also going to actually be preventative of other chronic illnesses that Epstein-Barr virus can lead to due to the pathways that it's turning on. Hmm. So you talked about... um uh, like I thought it was really interesting. You said it was, you know, the body should be able to keep it latent um, and let it sort of be there, but not go sort of buck wild in terms of symptomatology. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean with like uh, the virus going latent and, and you know, what, what's happening in those? Cause you said 90% of us, I think of the population have this virus. And so I'm sure a lot of us, it's just sort of there and latent. What, what's, what's the talk about latency and, 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 What's maybe the difference going on with someone who has it latent and who's someone who's reacting? Yeah, so latent means that the virus is in the body. So it's a from the herpes family viruses, so they stay in our body, just like shingles, um, things like that. They're, that virus sores. is always there. Yeah, cold sores that pop up when you're stressed. It's yep. kind of the same thing. So it can be there, and it's kind of just asleep, hanging out. It's not turning on and replicating. When we go to a lytic phase, that's when it's turning on and replicating, and that's usually when people are having more of the symptoms, and that's what we're trying to avoid. And that's what I was talking about with that trigger of oxidative stress, that it seems like the virus has an ability to, due to the transcription factors that it has, that actually when there's more oxidative stress will turn back on to a lytic phase and kind of knows when it's good to do that, which is, which is unfortunate. Um, so that's why we see when life happens, when stress hits, or maybe after 10 years of, um, a standard American diet and whatnot, we gastrointestinal health has come to a point where you have inflammation and problems that are causing this virus that, you know, before, oh my gosh. I think that was just an earthquake. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I did see your room shake. I didn't know if you had a large roommate. Or... Holy. No, that was an earthquake. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's the first the first podcast recording first, of an earth, yeah. earthquake. Uh, that's the joys, I guess, of uh, joining us from Alaska. Do you get a lot of earthquakes? We do. <laughs> Not that big, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Um, yeah. 
that I sort of I, lost I, my train of thought there with the earthquake and all. Um, it's a great metaphor, though, if we would like to take the earthquake. Sure. Because yeah. the ground is shaking, right? Because normally, if you have healthy, solid foundations, your body can keep that, like, it's probably a, a tax of some sort, but your those healthy foundations and that, that healthy, balanced immune system is keeping that virus just, you know, hanging out, a happy neighbor. Um, but when you shake those foundations and, like, there's a tipping point in which, you know, too much too much load of whether that's a toxic load or a stress load or an inflammatory load um, or uh, other infection loads from the gut or the teeth. Once you shake those foundations and like really tax the system, then, then it just tips. It can't, can't do all of the things all at one time. Basically, even the virus doesn't want to live there anymore. That's what's going on. Yeah, fair right? enough. That, that, oh, yeah. The perspective of the virus, it's like, Mm, I was okay with you you eating all right and sleeping all right. I'll I'll live inside you. You're an okay host. You're an all right host, but oh my God, what's going on? (laughs) Get me out of here. Yeah. Find a new host. And then that's that's what's going on is it goes to try and find a new host, which is, I know it's a weird way of thinking about it, but that's what's going on. You're not even good enough for the virus at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've never thought about it that way. That's really interesting. That's what Dave's good at, is making you think of things in a very odd way. Well, <laughs> well also, I had to know about cold sores because I made a product for cold sores. Cheap, cheap plug here for Sorlex, the, yeah. the cold sore uh, medicine that I made up. But Casey, I'm going to send you, uh, I'm going to send you some uh, of the prototype of my cold sore medicine because it's a, you know, it's a human herpes virus uh, family mm-hmm. um, medicine, and um, you're going to try it. <laughs> Great. I'm going to give it to you. And I want, I would love to see what, cause you, cause you know this, like it's so nice having experts in a, in a yeah. certain field because they know the uh, nuances and, and little things to look for when things actually work or improve in a way that maybe the patient or uh, a non uh, expert in that would not know, sure. but you know, you know, when hormones change mm-hmm. that I, I'd be, I'd be like, uh, I think, I don't know. Yeah. And I can feel things <laughs> change. And so you, uh, I think you're going to get some of my Sordex and uh, hopefully you can, in- I'm telling you, if you can, please incorporate it into uh, your treatment plan. Cause it'd be really cool because the, the Sordex works for shingles to some degree too. Yeah. So it's okay. got some, it does something about it's, it sort of um, helps the body sort of rally the immune troops yeah. to fight whatever's there. So mm-hmm. Well, Yeah. And when Epstein-Barr virus reactivates, sometimes it will present with herpes or shingles in people that are really struggling because oh, yeah? again, it's like a it's like an overall viral load. You know, if you have yeah. Yeah, all these different viruses, they're all from the same family, and you know, if one of them is turned back on again, it's like oh, this is this is getting chaotic, and then the other ones will come out too. So for some people, mm. that is one of the signs which I kind of probably should have brought up earlier is their cold sores will come out or whatnot. And I have seen, um, I have seen people present with shingles as well because it's all, it's like that, a viral load, you know, you have all these Mm -hmm. bugs Mm -hmm. and at some point it's too many bugs. Yeah. They're all jumping ship. Are are there other ones? Are there other bugs? Um, you know, we've talked about EBV here, um, but are there other ones that are prone to causing this sort of like latency and then reactivation? Like is like cytomegalovirus or are there other ones that are that are in there too? 
Cytomegalovirus will a lot of times show up when ABV is positive as well, but okay. I don't see the same symptom presentation with CMB. Mm-hmm. And I will say that there are there are different strains of Epstein-Barr virus where, so what we're talking about is what happens most commonly, but there are people that have strains that are affecting different immune cells that are more likely to proliferate into something like lymphoma and more serious. But that is usually a a very, very serious thing and you're pretty aware of it right away. Um, This is talking more about, you know, the chronic fatigue, the picture that's that you know you could have it going off and on for 10 years or whatnot so there are strains that are more aggressive and can present that way but we're not really discussing that because that's something that um is handled a lot differently and isn't presenting the same way sure and maybe we could like um clarify for people who um maybe listening to to understand maybe the difference between the like the primary effect of the virus and almost like the secondary effect of the immune system going reacting mm, in a weird yeah. way, right? So <clears throat> you use, I'll, do, I'll use an overly simple analogy again. Uh, like you throw a ball against the wall, it the bounce is dependent on the throw against the wall, but the, the bounce back from the wall is almost like the, a different response in a way if it, it could hit like a crack in the wall or whatever it needed the bounce to get there am i am i lost with the analogy here do you know what i mean oh, like, well. you, okay so like you have the initial effect of the virus there boom yeah. sure the virus yep. is you got like a load of the virus but then your immune system is, <laughs> is sure. the wall i'm talking about here it's like kind of oh. like covid <laughs> Oh gosh! Oh, well, no, yeah. A similar thing, right? It's like yeah. you have a virus, but some of the more devastating effects of it are like this, like you and you talked about cytokines, right? Or is like a cytokine storm or effects on blood cells or whatever. So, um, the yeah, that's the the two different ways to look at it. Yeah, and you, it requires a pre-existing condition of having the virus, but then everyone's reaction to, of their immune system may be a little, a little bit different, different. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is this is really perfect, actually, because one of the biggest things that people are scared about is that Epstein-Barr virus is now associated with seven different autoimmune conditions and a ton of different cancers. So they feel like if they're diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus, does this mean they're doomed to get an autoimmune condition or a cancer? And people have asked me, like, is it really Epstein-Barr virus that is causing these conditions and Mm -hmm. from it's exactly like what you were talking about it's like well what was going on on that wall before the ball hit it so if you already had Mm -hmm. gastrointestinal problems and intestinal permeability and then we have the virus and we're turning on pathways in the immune system um you know, maybe you you will be more likely to develop irritable bowel disease because of the way it's interacting. What what we have been predisposed to plays into it. So, I always say, was it the Epstein Barr virus that caused that cancer, or is it that people that are at the point where we have cancer developing or an autoimmune condition developing that it's very likely that the virus doesn't want to be there like Dave was saying and we see it replicating and it's a bigger indicator of other things that were also going on before that and the Epstein-Barr virus is like pouring gas on the fire where Mm. now 
if there was inflammation, wherever that inflammation was, it is magnified and that problem is magnified. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need to deal with it. Yes, it causes problems. But like you said, with the wall, that plays into what we're getting back. So I think that kind of feeds perfectly into that. And I totally get what you're saying. And then your COVID analogy works too, Kara. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. And and because of social distancing, probably a lot less people are getting mono right now. Just positive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You might have a lull of of patience in about one year. I'm just, as you're talking here and as you were going through some of the, the systems that you're approaching for treatment of like, um, and different mm-hmm. options and the types of therapies you're using, it's really, a, um, it really is poised for naturopathic medicine, right? Because the solution is not, here is one drug or one yeah. herb. Yeah, um, yeah it, it really is perfect for our medicine. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more with that, and I keep trying to to emphasize that because you know Dr. Paul Anderson. I have learned a lot from him about Epstein Barr virus and self infections, and mm-hmm. he he has used pharmaceuticals and antivirals for that, and. Even he will talk about how some people are ready to, to use that or it's more indicated if their viral count is really high, whereas other people, they, they take the antiviral and they really have what we would call a die-off reaction to it. And the immune system has, isn't in a place where it can handle that response. So understanding where your patient is at, what their toxin load is at, what their adrenal and thyroid are doing, what their gastrointestinal health is doing, and what their stress levels are like and how they're going to be able to implement changes is really important. You know, some people can do 10 10 supplements and change their diet. Other people, that's really overwhelming. And um, a pharmaceutical might be more appropriate and easier for them. Um, And the state of of their system is really important for picking which herbs for being more stimulating or, or, or less. And then if you have mold in the mix, you know, then there's a lot of things that you don't want to use because you don't want to be giving somebody probiotics that have, that have um, Saccharomyces boulardii in there if they have mold. Uh, so we have to consider all of that. And naturopathic medicine really is the best way to do that. So Casey, uh, I, I want to uh, talk about the fact that you you have a, a, a EBV boot camp um, that you that you have open right now. I believe is it is it open all the time or is it just in uh, like do you have little uh, co- what's it called uh, do you have little uh, like groups come in at a time and it's closed or is this always open? So I have a course called EBV Essentials that's always open that discusses like what we're talking about with antioxidant foods and things like that. And then the EBV bootcamp is open every few months because is what we do is we have a a group where I'll offer live Q&As. I can't give specialized medical advice or specific to your case, but we talk through things, talk through examples, talk through what you're going through mm. with your, your doctor, things like that. And since I'm live in that, that gets on a rotated, a rotated schedule and a rotated enrollment. 
Okay, so how can people find that if they're if they're looking for you online? Where's the best place to find you and and those sort of resources? Yeah, they can go to www.drcaseyholland.com and it'll be listed there or you can shoot us an email at support at drcaseyholland.com. Okay. Awesome. And you're Casey with a K. I am. Yes. yes. Like Kara with a K. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we always ask our guests at the end of every episode, what is one thing you wish uh, our listeners or patients would like, what is one thing you would like them to know about, about this? I think one of the biggest things that I remind people of when they're dealing with this is that their body has an innate healing capability and that when we set the body up with what it needs, that that will kick in. And I think it's really easy to forget that when you're just exhausted and you've been to all these doctors and you just feel like something is broken inside you. Um, So I just like to remind people that their bodies are made to heal. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of our, isn't it one of our, it's one of our tenets of it is definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope we have been good hosts. Did you get smarter, Karen? I totally, I think, um, I'm, I literally have a list of, of names of patients in my head that I'm like, Oh, Hmm. Mm -hmm. Might've missed that. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, you know, which is part of why we do the podcast. Is, we get smarter when we We do get smarter. Like you, so. And we're always learning, especially in this field. So um, I, I've loved chatting with you, and I definitely have gotten gotten smarter on this. And I really applaud your advocacy and um, how, how you're talking about this, because I really think um, it's a shame, right, that one, there's a whole bunch of people out there feeling like crap, and they don't know why. And two, there's a whole bunch of really smart um, naturopaths who are really poised to, we know all of those foundations of how to help, perhaps not as expertly or specifically as you, um, but uh, perhaps from a professional side, it's too bad that this wasn't, this isn't really um, a, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it's not as, it's not as well known. I mean, it's, it's not, yeah, I don't think it's... Um like I'd say we're all right. We're pretty good naturopaths, but it's not really, it's not in the forefront of, of mm-hmm. the, a lot of discussion um, that I hear anyway. So I'm glad you're doing it because 90% of the population have it, right? So mm-hmm. this is, this is important. And it makes me wonder how many people have actually had EBV and they do all the sort of basics uh, that you're talking about, like the systems that you were talking about. And then they probably, they had it and then they sort of, it went latent because they put their system in order with, with that amount of, people in the population having it. it's really yeah it's it's a possibility so yeah i'm going to keep this a little bit closer to the front of my uh my, my brain when i'm when i'm seeing some of these signs and symptoms and i'm i'm really uh grateful for you to come on and and show us uh show us your expertise in it casey thank you so much thank you for having me and just thank you for being wonderful hosts even in the event of um disruptions <laughs> In the event of earthquakes, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to kick us out like the virus, right? We're gonna, yeah. we're, uh, the, uh, we're, we're good. We're we're good hosts. We got good foundations. All right. Thanks so much. We will. Uh, we would love to catch up with you again soon. And uh, let's hope that there's more uh, bigger earthquakes coming your way there tonight. <laughs>
Awesome. Man, you held it you held it down pretty good when there was an earthquake. <laughs> that was so crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought like, I don't know, it got a little dizzy over here, but yeah, we'll have to see where that was and how far away it was and hopefully everybody's okay. <laughs> I think your picture's crooked. Yeah, I do, oh, we, I, this room definitely shook. Oh, yeah, it definitely. Yeah, well, I thought you just nudged your computer or something because from here, I mean, I saw yeah. something shake, but I thought, you know, you nudged or dropped your computer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, funny. It was, that was one of the bigger ones that I felt, so we'll see. <laughs> well, You've you only so lived there for a year, did you say? You, you're like, um, you're new living there? So we've lived here since January um, and we visited once before we came and there was an earthquake then as well. And like two years ago, there was a really bad earthquake where people actually like had damage to their homes. So when it happens, it's like, where was it and how far away? Cause you never know. It can be anywhere in Alaska. So you never know how right. big it actually was. Mm hmm. Gotcha. Thank you so much well, for having me and just helping me spread that message because I agree with what you're saying that I think that um, naturopathic doctors can help so much with this and that we just don't quite, yeah. we don't learn it in school, unfortunately, and hopefully no. we can change that yeah. um, because it's not, it's I'm not assuming you have a practitioner, I'm assuming you have a practitioner training course up your sleeve. <laughs> I think, I think so. You know, I'm a pretty young doctor, so I've felt weird, like, putting that together. Um, but I just, I think that we need it. And I think that, I mean, I think that everybody needs it. So, um, because there's lots of people that are like, I went to an ND and they didn't know this. And I was like, well, we don't, you know, mm -hmm. It's just not part of the medical curriculum because our curriculum is very much based off of the conventional medical pathology and everything. Mm -hmm. So, so unless you specialize in it or see yeah. it, you're not, you're not going to learn it. Even in functional medicine, yeah. it's not really highlighted that much. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Paul well, Anderson. Don't worry about being young because some of us. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah, like a, yeah. I got a big man crush on Yeah, Dr. you totally Anderson. have a man crush <laughs> yeah. on Paul. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, nice to meet you. And uh, yeah, we'll let you know when this is coming out. It sh it'll probably be about three weeks. Um, is it? Uh, sorry, two? not. Yeah, two Fridays. Two, uh, two weeks from tomorrow, it should be. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Okay. You too, Bye. Bye. Bye.